somebody bet me to you ever see the japanese spoons it's not like a regular spoon but it's like it's almost yeah, like yeah, little bowls yeah, yeah 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 half of that was full of wasabi somebody said oh if God. you eat this wasabi i give you 40 bucks what does brian do i eat the whole thing and literally almost pass out for 40 bucks for 40 bucks that's crazy send that to these jokers right? <laughs> all right guys welcome to the salty podcast where we talk about being the salt while drinking some tea and we have a special guest before i um talk about the tea brother brian just told me what coasters you use for i never knew i'm 24 but we're just going to ignore that <laughs> um, but <laughs> so we have a special guest here at the salty podcast for the first time ever brother brian reed um or people know as be nasty reed or what people know you as be nasty it's a lot but it's you don't have lot. you don't have to call me brother brian you can I, i'm just brian today <laughs> just brian today <laughs> all right um he is a grammy award-winning producer guys a lot of people know his name if you just type in be nasty everybody knows about that um, so thank you, Brother Brian, for being on the podcast, um, stepping out of your comfort zone for this. Um, I am very nervous. When I had the uh, the initial dream of the podcast this year, you're the first person I thought of, and I finally got you up here. So praise the Lord for that. Wow. Um, cool. So <laughs> I was thinking about that today. I was like, wait, God gave me this dream about having you here, and today's the day it's happening. So I was like, that's so cool to have that dream fulfilled. Um, so today, guys, we have the Arizona green tea. Um yeah, special request from Brother Brian. This is one of my favorite things. This is what actually got me through college the first two years. My lunch every day was this and taquitos at 7-Eleven. That was literally my lunch every day because I didn't have a car. I didn't drive anywhere. So the only place I could walk to at TCC was 7-Eleven. And I got this for 99 cents and taquitos for two twenty nine. Yep. That's what got me through everything. So, Brother Brian, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we have a few segments we'll go through, but one thing I want to start talking about initially off the bat is how did you start off your music career? Or actually before that, I know everybody knows you as a producer, mm -hmm. but is there anything else when you were a child that you wanted to do? Was there like a second option or was there actually something else you jumped up, but then you found yourself being good at this and then you're like, you know what, I could actually pursue this? Um, as a As a child... Like, if you ask your kids, like, what do you want to be when you grow mm -hmm. up, when they're small, like, when I was small at that age, it was, I wanted to be a um, a lawyer at first. Then a I, lawyer? Yeah, then I wanted to be a doctor. Oh, wow. Because at that time, it was just, like, how can you make the most money? It wasn't <laughs> about, like, what what are you good at? You okay. know what I mean? So, okay. that was my, my answer at first. At one point, I wanted to be in the NBA, because I started getting good at basketball so okay um but my passion was always music it was always music yeah okay so yeah. but when did you make that transition of you know what i could do this full time i don't need to focus on anything else like being a lawyer or whatnot when did you make that transition um, of this is what i could do every day so i've always had a piano in the house okay um yeah, Sister Tammy talks about how you killed it on, on the recital at seven years old. You just came up. She was doing Mary Had a Little Lamb, and you just came up and just slammed the whole keyboard. So, all right. So, we, we started piano lessons at the same time. We only had it for three months, Tammy and I both, and she'll laugh about this. But um, our teacher ended up leaving, but we had one recital after those three months. Mm -hmm. And um, they made me go last. And Tammy went like right before me, and mm -hmm. you know it was kind of like, like she said, she kind of, <laughs> and, and I was short, so I'm small. <laughs> so the piano bench is this long, but I'm, yeah. I'm like really short, and I couldn't reach all the keys. So I'm like sliding up and down to hit all the, because I was using all the keys. I wasn't doing this, but everybody, she was just like. <laughs> <laughs> so with the, did piano just naturally come to you, or was there a moment where you actually learned? No, nah, it was natural. Like uh, from the get-go? Like it was just... My mom played. My sister played. Okay. They didn't really teach me how to play, but just watching them. Drums was more natural. I was more rhythm. And I okay. don't... I, I still play drums now, but I'm not good at it. But I know how to do it. You know what I'm saying? That wasn't mm -hmm. something natural. But piano... Yeah, it was kind of natural. Like you didn't have to learn it because like to me like when i started learning piano so it, the interesting thing about me is when i was little 
my dad wanted me to learn music mm-hmm. i wasn't for it like i didn't want to learn music at all i was like he got me a keyboard and everything and i was like i'm not i don't want to do this i was more into um sports and watching games and stuff like that so that's what i wanted to do but then as i got older i was like god started tugging at my heart to start learning these things i started learning the guitar first and then i started learning the piano but what I learned, I learned through YouTube, just watching people and like learning what G chords are, C and all that. Mm-hmm. And just like muscle memory, learning all that. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, I'm trying to learn all about the music theory, about families and keys and mm-hmm. all this stuff. But so there was never a moment where you sat down and learned it just. Not that I can remember, to be honest. Um, That's crazy. Now, my kids, mm-hmm. they, it's different now because they have like you yeah. have YouTube. Yeah. you have stuff like that but all we had was outside or inside either you go outside and play or you stay mm-hmm. inside and i just stayed inside and tried to figure it out and i didn't learn theory i just pressed whatever sound good to me or what i would hear and i just kept it going and after a while i was you know my mom started coming in just like you know and my sister was like <laughs> yeah so and they were like, you kind of good at this. You yeah. should do something with it. <laughs> so when did that, um, back to the transition story, when did, how did you get into producing? How did that journey take off? Okay. So, um, when I was 15, my mom, um, asked me what I wanted. She, I, I guess she had gotten a good tax return or something. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she was like, what do you want? And I asked her for a keyboard, like a, a multi-keyboard, like a workstation. Okay. Um, and she bought me a Korg. At the time, it was called a, a Korg Trinity. Mm-hmm. Right now, they call them Tritons, or I don't even know what it is now. But she bought me a Korg Trinity, and um, I started making beats on there and, you know, just laying what I knew from piano stuff on okay. top of that. At the time, I also played saxophone too. So I used to make tracks and start playing sax to the tracks that I made. Okay. And I start traveling doing that. But the production side was just like, I'm making like full like songs, like full uh-huh. beats. So um, I was, I started looking up stuff like people were like, people actually do this like for a living. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. They make back tracks, they make, you know, so I started looking it up, man. I'm just like, man, I can do this. And I got super hungry, dude. Like You got hungry? Yeah. Is it physically and then also like, you're like, wait a minute, I, I need the money or it was just you were just hungry? It's both. Both? So question about that. I think this is my <clears throat> ignorance and stuff like that. Since I'm in the modern generation of everything is uh, digital, mm-hmm. right? Ableton, MIDI, everything is digital. Even when you have live instruments, recording, everything's done digitally. How was it done back then? Like, we had floppy disk. Okay, the the big. Okay, they're like this big. Yep. I would stick it into the um, the the cord, and I would make the beats, and you had to save it on the disk. And once you pull it out, whether it saved or not, it was it's between you and God. But <laughs> <laughs> most of the time, it was okay. But then uh-huh. it was the same thing with um when I got um. A drum machine, an MPC was my first drum machine. So I started using both of those. Okay. Same thing. You had this. And I still have the disc to this day. Like, I, wow. I got, yeah, I got boxes of them. How'd you do layers on a track? What do you mean? Like, like layers? so, you know, there's a moment where you had the piano and mm-hmm. then now you're adding drums on it and then mm-hmm. you added sax. Like, how, how did the layers work out back So then? on the Triton, that, that was pretty much my workstation. Okay. It's almost like the computer today. Okay. So I had 16 tracks that I could do my work on. Okay. So I would do the drums here or the whatever. And sadly, I would do all my drums on one track. Okay. Which you didn't split it up with the kick, the snare. I didn't have room. I had 16. <laughs> that was all I had. Okay. So drums, piano, bass, you know, and then mm-hmm. whatever I wanted to do after that, it was just laid out that mm-hmm. way. Yep. Wow, that's crazy. And yeah. so... I know because in the uh, once you started um, into the music, I know you ended up moving to LA, and then you met a lot of um, A-list celebrities or whatnot. But how was that transition from you, or what caused you, or what was in your heart to move to LA, or how did that all work out? Um, so I had um, all right. So you can Google this too if you want, but okay. 
my aunt is um excuse me i got a burp but i'm trying not to. <laughs> you're good you're good my aunt is uh she was uh she's a singer mm-hmm. she had a hit out at the time it was called shorty swing my way her name is envy okay her name is susan to me but her stage name stage is envy. And, okay okay so she was popping like like a million plus at the time oh wow so she's my mom's little sister her the guy she was with at the time um i started talking to him okay trying to you know just build relationships because he was our manager okay and he was really heavily involved in industry yeah so i started talking to him and um you know we we developed a relationship and Mm -hmm. um I would send him tracks, send him tracks I was doing, and, you know, I was trash at the time. I didn't know I was trash, <laughs> but I was. That's hard to imagine, but okay. It was, it was trash. <laughs> it was <laughs> so, after a while, I started getting better. Um, this was around the age of 16, 17 when I started. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And then um, between 19 and 20, you know, I I was like, look, I'm, I, knew, I knew I was – I wasn't trash. I ain't saying I'm good as good as, you know, mm-hmm. I should be, but I wasn't trash. Uh-huh. So he flew me out. I met Dr. Dre. That was my my hero. So that was the first thing you did was meet Dr. Dre. Straight off the bat. One of the first, yep. Wow. Yep. <laughs> That's a big well, step. Well, like I said, me and him had a relationship. We, okay. we talked all the yeah. time. And he would always say, I'm going to bring you out one. Yeah. Excuse me. That was the bird. Excuse me. You're so, good. You're good. It's all good. He would always say, one day I'm going to bring you out. Mm-hmm. So I just kept waiting. And I would call this dude, I swear, like 10 times a day. Wow. And um, one day he actually was like, look, come on out. He flew me out. We went to Vegas. And we came back. We drove to L.A. Met Dr. Dre. From there, it was just like, like I'm in. I'm all in. <laughs> So how was that experience? Because you said Dr. Dre was your hero, and how how did you handle that situation when you first? Did you just play it cool? You're like, oh, I'm just what's up? My name's Brian, or what? What was that interaction like? He knew who I was before I got there. Oh, okay. Because he, you know, he knew he he called me nephew, not Dr. Dre, but oh, uh, yeah, yeah, my yeah. manager at the time. So, like, he he knew I was coming. It was just weird. I'm just like, yeah, I was scared. I didn't talk much. But um, I did get to speak to him. You know, he gave me some advice and stuff like that. Honestly, it's kind of a blur because, you know, I was kind of starstruck at the time. Uh-huh. We took pictures and all that. But after that, I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm, I got to get here. Okay. I was going home. Oh, so then you were just headed back home. It was just a visit. Yeah, that was moment. a visit. Okay. I was there for two weeks, I think. But after that, I was just like, you know, I got to get out here because this is where every- – I saw so many people in that that one day. Yeah, Eminem was in one room. Um, Dang, <laughs> uh, doggone! The real Slim Shady. Mailman was in the other room. Um, Truth hurts was in one room. Shanta, y'all don't y'all don't know who any of these people are. I, I knew Eminem. After that, I kind of right. lost. <laughs> they were all there, and I was okay. just like, "This is where um, I need to be." Yeah. So you had. Nephew was there, my mentor, um, mm-hmm. and roommate. I'll get to that later. But um, <laughs> uh, Mike Elizondo, bass player, musician. All these, all these Scott Storage. All these people are like in there. Uh-huh. Like while I'm sitting there talking to him, and um, I was like, man, this is where I got to get to. So how when you say you had to get to that place? Because I know nowadays, um, I don't want to say the, use the word easy. But because of social media, because of the internet, it's a little bit easier to get your name out there. Like the moment you put something, it's kind of available to the open public, right? So how would how did you end up working your way up? Because you did end up reaching that their stage. You end up going there and stuff. So how did you? You came back home. What was that work ethic like? Or how did you get your name out there? Is it was just sending your manager stuff or? It was hard. It was really hard. I mean, it's like you said, times are different and. The word easy is an understatement now. Mm-hmm. 
compared to how we had to do things. Yeah. Um, I would send CDs in the mail and wouldn't hear back for weeks. You wow. know what I mean? Wow. You you talking about like ten ten tracks and you just like I I just want to hear. Did you hear it? Did you like it? Yeah. And you waiting two weeks to hear back and be like, oh, I just got it. Let me listen to it. Mm-hmm. Another two weeks is just like, you know, just stuff like that. But um, yeah, I was the grind was just totally different at the time. So um, then with the whole music industry, since we got into this topic, what is one assumption people have about the music industry that you have realized is false? Or what is one story once you got out there, you're like, oh, everybody thinks it's like this, but it's not. It's kind of like this. One misconsumption is that you have money if you're doing something. Okay. That's the main one. Like, I thought once I got there, you know, um, even when I got a name, Uh people thought you had money. And it's still the same thing, same to this day. They thought you were doing good. But that's, to me, my my goal was always to make money. Yeah. From doing this. Okay. Take care of my mom, like all that Mm -hmm. stuff. Or just just to be able to take it myself. But at the same time, I was like, I I have to do something. Yeah. And yeah. The misconsumption is just, it's just not what it's cracked up to be. So just because you have a name doesn't mean you have money. No. So I know, I remember one time, like a long time where you were trying to explain to me record deals or stuff like that. And of course, I don't want you to speak on anything that you don't want to speak. I'm fine. uh, We're here. What what is that whole thing about? What is a record deal? Because, you know, people hype up that I just need a record deal. That's that's all I need. And then I'll I'll be set. But is that true? Or what is that even like? What, what? get what does a record deal even get you depends on your situation for me my i my record deal was i mean i've been offered more than one mm-hmm. and i've taken a, a couple but um most people say when they want a record deal normally they're an artist mm-hmm. and the record company wants that artist to sign to them yeah um they're going to offer them a bunch of money up front yeah which you're gonna need at the time yeah because you're broke and you just want money that's <laughs> yeah. your main goal like yeah I, I need some money yeah and i'll work for it so they're, yeah. gonna, they're gonna give you an advance check but they're not gonna tell you how much you owe them back or how much they're taking off of your record sales once you start selling records okay so let's say if i give you a million dollars you're gonna take that First thing you're going to do is buy yourself a house, a yeah. car, or some stupid jewelry or something stupid. Yeah. You know, a bunch <laughs> of shoes or clothes or whatever. Your money's gone, mm-hmm. but you're like, but I got a record. So you're you're spending that money. Uh, ex- oh, because you're thinking, oh, once I release this, I'm going to get more money. That's mm-hmm. what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. But that's not what it's like, I'm guessing. Some of it. Okay. They don't tell you. They tell you in, in the Forty page, whatever, <laughs> the fine but that you don't read. <laughs> but um, you owe that money back. Yeah, you, you shoot a music video for at that time cost a million dollars. You don't know that's your whole budget right there already gone. If you don't recoup that money back, let's say you only sell three hundred thousand copies of whatever. Yeah. Every time they take you out to eat, or they fly people in to do your makeup, hair, and stuff, that's your bill. That's your bill. Mm-hmm. That's not even on the record label. That's your bill. You're the artist. This is your bill. Wow. <laughs> your your limousine rides, whatever at the time, like you're doing. Yeah, they charging you. And they're going to send you a bill if you don't recoup. And if you do uh-huh. recoup, whatever the difference is, you know, you get a check for 25000 you like, where's the rest of it? It's like, well, here it is. You stayed at you stayed at yeah. this hotel. You you know what I mean. Yeah, you had to fly this person in. So that's <laughs> interesting. So then, how does an artist? Is it just on the hope of if their if their record blows up and they get an, like a huge amount of money, then they get money back? And then is it kind of like record deals are more uh, more like 
per album or per track or something like that to the point where it's just they kind of test the waters i'm guessing it's it kind of sounds like the record labels are testing the waters to see how much money you'll get and then if you don't they're not going to really invest in you again they know what they're going to get okay. before they sign you for the most part okay but it's way different now it's um you don't have record deals like we used to um okay now it's more um they see your numbers you're on instagram okay. you're on youtube they see yeah. your followers you know it, it's monetarily very different than it used to be okay money's not coming in even to record labels like it used to um there's just different ways to make money now off the internet as, as opposed to back then because back then it was more based on album sales or sales of album the sales um March is a good one. Mm -hmm. um, even con concerts is pretty much the only only way like artists really made money back then. Okay. Like you could sell 10 million records and, you know, the only money that you're really getting is off your merch and your shows. Why, why is that? Because I, I would assume that concerts were, um, the budget for concerts is from the record label, but it's, it's not. So the artist puts all the money before the tours and stuff like that, and then they get that back? The artists, they, man, even from an artist standpoint, forget that. From a producer standpoint, mm -hmm. we don't even get paid. We make the records. We don't yeah. even get paid off the shows that you perform our music yeah. every show. Yeah. We don't even get that. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so when you said when you were little and you wanted to be a lawyer, reading the fine print was key to all this basically like setting everything because because what it like you're saying it looks like you have money it looks like everything but on the back end of everything everything's taken away from you eventually mm -hmm. so how does how did you handle that or did you ever face the circumstance where you felt like you got robbed of what you earned or stuff like that and then how did you handle that man i'm gonna tell you a short story i was so when i officially moved to LA mm -hmm. when he said, you know, come out here, you know, like we ready. Mm -hmm. And I was in a bad place in my life, like a really bad place. I had, um, and I don't even know if y'all know this, my two, my two oldest kids are not with my, you know, from my wife. Okay. Um, I had these guys when I was, uh, 20 and 22. Okay. So when I was 22, that's when I got the call and I was ready. I was about to join the military. I was just like, I just, I gotta do something. Mm -hmm. So that's when I flew to LA. Um, I had a saxophone and two kids. <laughs> <laughs> so I sold my saxophone for 150 bucks. What year was this? I'm sorry, cause that- This was 2004. 2004, okay. He was, three months wow no this is october so he was uh five months four okay. months whatever somewhere around there so i sold my saxophone for 150 bucks mm -hmm. i gave 100 to their mom and i flew to la for 50 bucks in my pocket that's crazy yeah and um i bought a sandwich at my layover <laughs> so when I actually got to LA, you uh -huh. know how airport food is. Yeah. I probably had like 40, 40 bucks left. <laughs> Went to my manager's house, stayed there. The same night we got I got there, we went straight to the studio. Uh-huh. So I was working, but I ain't had no money. Yeah. I was broke. Yeah. And um, you know, I was still working, just doing stuff and you know, building relationships with people. But I didn't make my first check until uh, I want to say the end of two thousand five. So it was a year later. Mm -hmm. Wow. Excuse me. My first check that I did get two checks I got. Uh -huh. Well, no, one was cash. The first check it was a bet. It was cold in L.A. People don't think it gets cold in L.A. It does. <laughs> it was a bet. Okay. Um, my manager bet me. He had a big pool in the backyard. He said, you can't swim 10 laps back back and forth. It was raining outside. It was freezing. He said, you can't swim 10 laps back, you know, uh -huh. 
Because, uh-huh. you know, most black people can't swim. And I was telling him <laughs> I can swim. I was like, I can swim. I'm from the beach. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I got this. But he was like, no. He was like, I bet you 750 you cannot swim 10 laps back in front. Just like, I needed that money so bad. I was I jumped right in the pool, shirt on, everything. Start doing the laps around lap five. I started getting weak. I was just like, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> My body started shivering. I was freezing. But I did it. And he and he's up in his liver in his bedroom out the window with a camera filming. He probably got it to this day. I don't I haven't spoken to him in like fifteen years, but well, he's with the camera crying, laughing the entire time. While I'm sitting here swimming, and you know you got a big t-shirt on. It's like heavy. It's hard to swim. I'm just yeah. like. So he gave me seven hundred fifty bucks. Send that to these jokers right there. Um, the other one was another bet. Somebody bet me to. You ever see the Japanese spoons? It's not like a regular spoon, but it's like it's almost yeah, like yeah, little bowls. A, yeah, 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 yeah. Half of that was full of wasabi. Somebody said, oh my if God. you eat this wasabi, I give you 40 bucks. <laughs> what does Brian do? I eat the whole thing and literally almost pass out for 40 bucks. For 40 bucks. That's crazy. Send that to these jokers. <laughs> so what did you, what was the first thing you kept? So my manager, he was tired of the way I was dressing because we had to go out in public. Uh-huh. And all I would wear was like white t-shirts and was this during the baggy days with the soldier boy cranked that with the long tees and everything? Yeah. And I would still wear it to this. I don't care. But you still wear that to this. <laughs> um he was tired of the way I was dressing because mm-hmm. we had to do like public stuff. We were getting interviewed by and mind you, mm-hmm. I was working at the around this time I was working with um Neo. Okay. Yeah. And he he wasn't famous at the time, but he was bubbling like yeah. And people were coming to talk to him, and they were interview the producers too. Yeah, there was you know cameras everywhere, and you know sometimes we have to go out and make public appearances, which I'm super uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. But you know it was part of the job. So, yeah. Um. He gave me five hundred bucks. He was like, dude, go get some clothes. <laughs> he said, if you don't go get some clothes, like you just you you can't come out. Like you you look like a bum. I was just like, whatever. So I took the five hundred dollars, sent them jokers four of it. <laughs> I bought a pack of white t shirts, yeah, a pair of shoes, and maybe one or two pair of jeans. So yeah, that's, that's something. crazy. It's the first thing I kept. That's great. So I'm hearing all this and I think we're going to take a quick break right now, but I want to come back um, because what I'm hearing a lot and which is what I want to get get into is that when you became a dad, you started being acting like a completely different person, I'm assuming. In a way, in a way, in a way, yes. in a way, because I'm I'm seeing that's very, uh, for lack of better terms, responsible of you that almost everything you're getting, you were sending to your Mm -hmm. kids. Which I know a lot of people even now don't even do that. So I'm, that's admirable to even hear that. That's the first thing you did. And the first time you kept is when somebody said, go buy yourself some clothes. Mm-hmm. And even that. I mean, like, I never thought of it 80% like that, of it, yeah. 80% of it, you're like, let them have it. And let me just make sure I, I use 100 to buy the stuff I need. So, um, and it reminds me of my dad because really um, the other day, um, like a few months ago, I started talking to my dad about when he came from a different country to here. And the first thing, um, he so he, it was a family of four. And I asked him, we were just talking about how much money he made or whatever. And he told me how he got ripped off when he first came to America. The people that brought him here, they promised him he would get two grand or something every month. And they gave him like $700. Mm-hmm. And they ripped him off completely. And then when we moved as a family and came under him, he told me basically how much I make now he fed a family of four. Mm-hmm. And then I was just blown away. I'm like how'd you do that? And I was like, and he was like, sacrifice. He was like, a lot of thing I hear is dads live without a lot just so their kids can have a lot. And then I was like, so blown away. And that's kind of where I'm getting from you too. It was just, you're like, let me take care of them first and let me, I'll, I'll live with what I got. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's crazy. So we're going to take a quick break right now, guys. And then we're going to come back with Brian, 
That's the first time I said that. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I'm crazy. So, all right, guys, we'll take a short tea break. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Salty Podcast, where we are just hearing the amazing life story of Brian right now about his whole journey in the music industry and stuff like that. So, can you go dive into your first official check that you got after you got out there in LA and stuff like that? So, <clears throat> I was working with uh, Neo, and Neo's a R&B pop singer. Well, pop now. He he started off as R&B. He's, R&B. he's like R&B yeah. pop right now. But um, he's actually a icon as far as dance and all that goes. But yeah. um, we were working together in 2005, and um, I sold my first. I was working in the industry before then. I, I did like side work. I would get little stuff here and there. But my first official, mm-hmm. yeah, Brian B Nasty Reed track, like produced by, yeah, you know, not keys played by or strings, you know, okay. was that. Um, so I got $12,500 for that and it was enough to just like get me started, get my juices flowing. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, cool. And I didn't know he was going to be as big as he is. Yeah. You know, I was just like, I was just happy to get paid at the time, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then when it came around for the, the song to come out or the, the, the album to come out, um, he was already at nine hundred thousand pre sales. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> so I was just like, I should ask for more. I'm well. I'm just like, hey, this is gonna do something. So when you when you get royalties from that stuff, oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, I got you. Know you know what I mean? I was like, I already own fifty percent of this song, so I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> so nine hundred thousand. <laughs> it's like pre sales. It's already pre sales. Like it's not even out yet. So yeah, that was my first. Um, my first official check. First official check. Yeah. But uh, I have a question, Brother Brian. How did you keep your motivation level up? Because when we're hearing about, you know, the first check was about almost a year later. But then after that, you know, you talk about how lawyers or contracts don't do well and all that. But how did you keep your motivation up to still keep pursuing music or still keep producing? Because, you know, when life hits you sometimes, you're like, why am I even here? Why, why am I doing this? I didn't. You didn't? Mm-mm. I didn't. I didn't keep it up. I couldn't. Life okay. life hit me really hard. Um, and like I said, I was out there. I was I was working, but twelve thousand don't last, you know. And then I did work here and there in between, but it was eight thousand here, four thousand here and there, like you know. Yeah. Maybe another ten thousand here, but when you're you're just working the, the entire time. You don't know when your next check's coming. Yeah. And you have two kids that you, mind you. Excuse me. You good? I was flying back and forth okay. every three months to see them, to see my kids. So that money, that money was going. Quick. Yeah, it was going quicker. And I was sending them pretty much everything i had almost (laughs) so my motivation was going and at the time you know me and their mom we had a falling out so that was another thing i would call and you know check on them and talk to them every night it started from hello you know you know we talked to her and then you know hand the kids the phone to Mm -hmm. not answering the phone or I was going nuts. Okay. I was going crazy. I was literally losing my 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 brain because I wasn't seeing them. And, um, yeah, I was just like, man, it's, it's not worth it. So I couldn't keep up the work. Like, I didn't have it in me. Yeah. Yeah. So how did it come back? Like, how did you end up coming back? And, like, what was that journey like? Because I know then you still produce years later, but how was yeah. that journey like? Um, When I met my wife... Um, she, she gave me like a lot of motivation to just like breathe again. Mm-hmm. I was depressed, dude. Miss, I was, Miss Kelly? Yeah. Okay. Miss Kelly. Okay. Yeah. I was super depressed. Like I said, I, I, I couldn't talk to them. Like I, it was just like a bad timing, but when she came into my life, it was more of a, 
like a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. And I started make, making music again. Um, just like I had some drive. Okay. But after a while, it was just like, you know, I got to go home because yeah. I still wasn't seeing my kids. So, so you met her in L.A.? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. What What did she do or how did you end up meeting her? What was that like? So me and my roommate, um, it was one day. So my wife and her sister and her two roommates, they went to church out in L.A. My roommate and my other friend went to the same church. I wasn't going to church at the okay. time. I was the guy that just stayed home because I didn't feel like it. I didn't want to go to church. <laughs> so okay. they met at church a couple. They had seen each other a couple times. So my roommate decides he wants to barbecue this this particular day. Mm-hmm. So they're on their way back from church, and he calls me. I'm at the house. I'm trying to work. I'm mm-hmm. not in a good mood. But yeah. he's like, yo, P, can you clean the house real quick? Like, like, we got some people coming over. I was just like, like, really? Like, right now? So I cleaned the house up. They come over. And, you know, we uh we end up just eating food and talking. And long story short, um, that was the day I met my wife. Uh, she had a headache. She didn't, my, my friend didn't know where the, the doggone aspirin was. So he asked me, I went to go get it. We saw each other. We didn't say anything, but it was kind of like, you know, you kind of lock eyes. You know that feeling? It's just like, <laughs> like, Lord Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't say anything to her, but she said, uh, oh, she said, um, I forgot what I said. My, I had a country accent because I'm from here, but she was just like, you're not from here. Are you? I was like, nah. And then we hit it off from there. And then when she left, I just told my friend, I was like, I'm going to marry her. And I, I was looking out the window when she was leaving. <laughs> so that's how that went. You knew off the bat? Yep, sure did. First five minutes. Can you please elaborate how you would know? As a as a young man, how, how, how do you know that that I quick? I just do. Like when I, when I said, when we looked at each other, mm. I was li- literally in the fridge getting a bottle of water. And I was looking in the fridge, but I turned... I was paying no attention mm-hmm. to anybody. Yeah. Like I was in a bad mood, yeah. but I saw her. I was just like, and she was looking at me and I swear to God, I don't know how this works. It's not for everybody, but uh-huh. I instantly knew. I told her, I, I was, I told my friend, I was like, I'm going to marry her. That's crazy. I really do. Yep. So, um, <laughs> since you mentioned church, I'm guessing Miss Kelly's a reason also maybe that you came back to church. Yeah. <laughs> she made me go. <laughs> She made me go on Easter out there. I didn't want to go. I went and bought a suit. Mm-hmm. It was a terrible suit. cost me like $400, but I bought it anyway. And I uh, went to church. And, um, yeah, this is one of the best things that ever happened. That's all. Oh, praise the Lord. So in that, because I know now you, you work at the church. You um, you play keys and you, you help out with the, the band. You're the band director, right? Mm-hmm. So in that. I have a, uh, my curiosity is how did you, or how did you cultivate your relationship with God or where did you see God in your life through all this? I know you said Miss Kelly was one of the reasons that you even came back to church. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of like, how did that happen? Um, once I got back, Bishop John was still alive. I don't know if you know, I know, you know, yeah. you didn't meet him yeah, probably, nah. but Bishop John was alive. And what he said to me when I got, when I moved back, he said, we have this studio that's sitting here. It's been sitting here all these years. He was like, I want you to get in there and, and you know, recreate and reopen it. He was like, you know, just, just take a job here and, and, and do that. So I agreed because he was like a father figure to me. Yeah. So I agreed to do that. And that was the initial start. I never actually uh, all the way broke it in. But things kind of, you know, I yeah. ended up just being the band director and, you know, things from there. But that was the, the segue into me coming back. Okay. <laughs> now, um, I know you talked about um, there was a moment where you were, like, really down and it, you're depressed, per se. And then 
you saw Miss Kelly and all the lights came on, you're like, you know what, life has a meaning, life has purpose. But has there been a moment where, like you said, you didn't have the motivation? Or what was the biggest thing that you learned to overcome through all this? Like, what was the biggest challenge in your life that God helped you out in overcoming all this stuff or anything like that? Um, I think just realizing that there is no plateau to where you're you get to and then everything is just yeah okay level and cool like mm -hmm. okay i'm here now okay like no there's always something else um there's no comfort zone there's no comfort okay never um there's always some something else to reach for and i just realized i can't get comfortable okay you know what i mean um like you can ask god for certain things as far as like Lord, I've been broke all these years. I'm tired of being broke. <laughs> Let's not be broke. But if you're broke and then you get some money, then yeah. you can be like, Lord, I'm tired of being sick. I don't want to be like, I'm yeah, not saying. Yeah. I, like, I got you. There's always there's something. always something yeah. like just just enjoy the journey. This is life. This is mm -hmm. it. Like this is what we have to, you know, deal with. And um, that was one of the main things I had to realize. Just, you know, I don't I don't get to relax. OK. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got you. <laughs> Um, so in that, um, I would say like, that's something I'm learning about myself right now is I was thinking, um, in my mindset or something, when you have a specific thought pattern that you think about certain things every year, or if you constantly think negative or something like that, I realize there's not a moment where it's a switch and you're not going to be that way. Nope. It's a daily process of, you know what, today I choose to be a certain way today. Um, one of the segments I do at the podcast is like, I'll say like a verse of the week or sermon of the week. And uh, I encourage people to like really get into the word because once you know the truth of the gospel and truth of the word, it helps you in changing yourselves or changing your mindset of understanding that every day is a new day with new challenges, mm. but that doesn't mean you can't face it. Um, the verse that I've been really in my heart lately, it's um, I think in Proverbs 4 or something, it says, bind mercy and truth around your neck and let them be an ornament around, around mm. your neck. And the one thing that it really builds me up is that knowing that no matter what challenge I face today, God's got me. Mm -hmm. The truth the that he is with me, the truth that I will see good days, the truth that I will see his promises, I will see his word, knows that no matter what I face today, I'll overcome it. And when we look at people like in the Bible, like David, when we talk about Goliath, the bear, and then the lion, it's the thing of God took him stage by stage, but whatever battle he faced, God called him to overcome. It wasn't like God sent him in a losing situation. Right. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in a problem that we're like, when are we going to get out of it? But we sometimes don't realize, wait a minute, this is just another opportunity for me to just learn something else. Yep. And last year around this time, I went to a conference in South Carolina where I heard Bishop T.D. Jakes. And that was one of the most life transformation um life transforming conferences i ever went to just because it was just an interesting season in my life last year to where i was like struggling with a lot of fears or whatever and then i just heard um bishop tj talks about how you have to put yourself in the room like you have to put yourself in situations where god can speak to you and stuff like that and then i heard about the conference and i was like you know what i'm gonna go it was an eight hour drive and i was like <laughs> on the drive there i was like god i'm driving eight hours help me <laughs> do something like give me something i'm driving eight hours just to sit in this place just to hear and then the one thing i heard that um during that time was bishop jake um talked about the battle is my bread and it just flipped the switch on whenever you face a challenge he talked about how no challenge can overtake you god does not tempt you with more than you can handle and in that moment everything you face is not it's not a battle to destroy you but it's bread to give you for the next one yeah and so that's one thing i learned about all that and i encourage people to just get into the word um in that brother brian is there something you would i know people ask this and people end up saying like no there's nothing i would change or whatever about my past because because of that i'm here today but is there anything that you would tell your younger self when you were because i'm you know like when you're 20 years old, when you're 15, when you're 16, when you first started going off, anything you wish you would have known then that you know now? It's a good question. Sure. I wish I would have known that there's no plateau. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's no level to where you, you know, like I said, you get mm -hmm. to 
relax or just yeah. just not take every day one day at a time yeah um i have kids so they have to go through things i can't do it for them if yeah. i didn't go through the stuff that i went through yeah i wouldn't know how to raise them because you yeah. know everything would be just easy you mm -hmm. know what i mean so no i wouldn't change anything i got you nope so in that when you talked about your kids i think fatherhood is something well I haven't experienced that. Praise the Lord. You know, I'm not married. Yet, so <laughs> take, take your time, brother. <laughs> I'm going to take my time. I'm only 24. Um, I got a long way to go. But I know that when you become a father, I've heard many stories about how your whole life perspective changes. It does. You see different things about God that you never heard before. You see different things about whatever. And so as your goals as a um, 16, 15-year-old or whatever, and then once you got kids, how did you see or what changed in your mind or what was the catalyst that made you your goal switched or did your goal switch when you became a father? I just had I had something to do. You had something to do. OK. Um, Before I had kids, it's like I'm I'm just I'm chilling. I'm I'm. it's not that I didn't have goals, but yeah. it was like I got something to do right now. Yeah. When I had my my first son, I was 20 and, um, you know, I was. I ain't gonna say I was super wild, but I wasn't. Mm. Yeah, you can say that a little bit. I was. Uh, I, I wasn't in the best position, and I wasn't doing things the way mm -hmm. I should. Um. But I I used to take him to work every day. I had I had him in my car seat I, in the studio. I would <laughs> throw him in a booth and turn the microphone on so that when he started crying and when he woke up, we could hear him. Mm -hmm. You know, so I was making bottles in the little kitchen and like y'all got back there. Like I was a That's dad. Crazy. So it's yeah. like I have it's like it's not about you anymore. Like you yeah. have somebody else. You got yeah. some focus right here. Yeah. So and then when this Joker came, it it was even more like good grief. Like <laughs> I really have something to do. Like, you know, so it, it mellowed me out. Yeah. It calmed me down to, you know. Mm hmm certain things I can't do anymore. Just like, look, be that. <laughs> be that. Um, with that, um, what would, what is some advice that you would give for, um, aspiring artists? Now we got to the whole situation where we talk about have a lawyer and make sure it's not a lawyer connected to anybody else except you so they can look out for you. Mm -hmm. But other than that, um, how do you maintain originality and how, what, is something that you would advise art upcoming artists to be like, Hey, focus on this or focus on this. Um, I don't know. That's hard. Oh, let's, let's start with that. How do you maintain being original? Let's, let's go I'm not, that. nobody not. is. Okay. But you do have to recognize who your influences are. Okay. And it's okay to be inspired by them, but don't try to be like them. Okay. Um, excuse me. When I first started, um, like I wanted all my beats to sound like Dr. Dre. Mm. You know, I was I was copying his drum patterns, his pianos, and you know, then I wanted to be like Knotts, and I would copy his bass lines, and I wanted to be like Bink. I would copy his toms that he did. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I didn't have any original. Like, yeah. there was nothing you could say about what I was doing that said that sounds like Brian. Yeah. So I had to find my sound with all of these people yeah. who inspired me mm -hmm. to sound like me now you can hear stuff and be like i know for a fact brian yeah. did that track yeah, yeah you yeah, know yeah. what i mean so it's just all about you know just take inspirations but don't don't be a copycat don't be a copycat right. okay i got you um that's actually really good um so what is some piece of advice that you can give to upcoming artists well if you had to give them one thing to be like, hey, go on this direction, or is it one thing you could say to them if you had like two minutes, what what would be something you would encourage them with? Just be yourself. Because um, it's, like I said, it's different today and it's a lot harder to mm -hmm. give advice because I don't really, I don't know of, there's no format yeah. today like it used to be. Like it used to be like singer your demo tape in or you know do uh, this I got and that. You. okay yeah I got there you. is none of that yeah um right now you could say have a, develop a following you know mm -hmm. things like that but in the end like be authentic be yourself if this is for you it's gonna happen and don't let up just okay. stick to your craft if this is what you want to do keep doing it 
and figure it out as you go. Sometimes it takes people 20 years before they pop. I hate to say it, but it's true. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, look at D Smoke. He's my age, and he just over. It looks like overnight, mm -hmm. but he's been doing this for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> I think you said it. If it's for you, it'll end up happening at some sure. point or the other, uh, which is amazing. So, um, and we'll end off with uh, these two things. Um, one, let's just do like a little fun thing. What is, um, uh, I think, the most A-list celebrity you met and your interaction with them? Well, has there been any awkward interactions? Has there been any like, ah, dang, I wish that didn't happen? Or what's what's been your best stories with that? Let's and a and a happy story, or whatever. Awkward. I stepped on Tatiana Ali's foot one night. Y'all don't probably, y'all too young. Uh, I don't. She's Ashley off of Fresh Prince. Okay. Yeah, I stepped on her <laughs> foot one night. It was just pretty embarrassing. We were at Brandy's house. Y'all don't know who Brandy is either. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, Moesha. Uh, we we were all at her house, and I stepped on her foot, and it was just like, it was just embarrassing. <laughs> I didn't mean to do it, but it was just like she the way she looked at me, it wasn't like you know, I said I'm sorry, yeah. but it wasn't like no, it's okay. It was just yeah. kinda like she was annoyed. Um, anyway. Jay Z and Beyonce one night we were at Usher's um Grammy party and I had a bracelet on my wrist. I had met Beyonce before when uh -huh. I was like he said, when I was like sixteen. Okay. This was my first time meeting Jay. He he knew me. But it was our first time, like, yeah. face to face. I had a bracelet on, and their bodyguard, I went to go give him dap. Like, I went, you know, put my hand up. His bodyguard just grabbed my wrist and, like, did, <laughs> <laughs> did like, this kind of, I don't know what he did. He, like, dismantled my whole bracelet before I could even get my hand to him. I'm just like, good God. My bracelet was, like, off my wrist yeah. by the time I could actually just like, dude, what the heck are you? <laughs> True story. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. So I know you said Dr. J was your hero, but has there been any other person that you really looked up to and that you were just in awe? Well, not in awe, but in meeting, you were just trying to take every moment and you try to learn as much as you can, or you're just trying to cherish every moment you had with them. I talked to Michael Jackson for a really long time. Wow. Okay. Um, we never met face to face. We we're about to before I moved back and before he passed away. Um, he gave me some really great advice about some stuff I was going through at the time, and it was just weird to me because he's like the guy you everybody yeah, wants everybody, to meet. Yeah. Like you know who Michael Jackson is, and you're 24. Yeah. Like your kids will know who he is. Yeah. You know. He talked to me for a good two hours, and I was just having a I was having a really bad day. Okay, it was tough when I when I said bad day, it was like the worst day. But he encouraged me. He, um, you know, just gave me some of the best advice I could ever ever get. Um, we talked about working together. He was like, "Yeah, bring the kid." These two jokers were little babies at the time. He's like, yeah, bring the kids out and we'll, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and this is when he was living in uh, Bahrain at the time. Mm -hmm. He lived in L.A. too, but he had a house in Bahrain. So mm -hmm. we were going to fly out to Bahrain. And I had sent him some work. Yeah. The work I did with Neo, some of the songs that Neo has now, mm -hmm. he was sending to Mike to actually, Mike was going to do some of. Yeah. But um, the, that for sure is like the the, you know, the top um definitely that, yeah that would be amazing. iconic right there like michael jackson you're like i talked to michael jackson on the on phone the, on the phone for two hours definitely that's crazy i think that would be <laughs> that's the best um wow that's like if i talked to some pastor like pastor steven or something or bishop tj that's where I would, I would be in my mind i was like yo i just talked to i would one. love to talk to tdj for 30 minutes for 30 what uh so in that what is there anything about like you brought up TDJs? Anything with any, like Christian stories? Not I don't want to say Christian stories, but TDJs. Why why do you want to talk to TDJs? He's just full of wisdom, mm -hmm. and you gotta have both. Um, okay. For for me, ministry side is I'm 
as you guys can see, I'm a I'm a different breed as far as what your typical yeah. ministry side is or how it's typically done in church. Mm -hmm. And this is why I'm here. Um, I had a studio friend of mine. He owned the studio that I used to work at. Um, he was pretty sick. I heard he was sick. I hadn't talked to him in a, a while. And um, I ended up FaceTiming him. Mm -hmm. And um, he... Uh, he looked pretty bad on FaceTime. So I led him to the Lord and uh, he passed away nine days later. Wow. Um, ended up finding out that his son was on the phone at the same time praying the same prayer. But wow. sometimes you have to be in certain situations. Like I still go to the studios. I still, I'm, I'm out there. I don't do everything I used to do, but Sometimes it takes different type of people. Y'all see me at church. I'm out there with my hat on. Like, people don't <laughs> do that. But you need people like me to yeah. bridge the gaps or, you yeah. know, to, to – you need all of us. Yeah. How do you balance the two? How do you balance and keep yourself in a healthy mindset and stuff like that? It's not always healthy. I'm not in a healthy mindset right now. It's mm -hmm. The climate is it's pretty bad, yeah. you know, what's going on with uh, – you know everything um racial yeah uh stuff and i got four sons i bought my son a car last week and i was scared to give it to him because i'm scared for him to get pulled over so it's um it's very different yeah but one day at a time screw up some days and get up the next and you know mm -hmm. you know no i'm sorry that you do have to think about all those things um how do you best advise those situations or how do you best handle them as as being a father that's a scary thought to even think about we we pray mm -hmm. um i yanked my kids out of out of bed probably around midnight a couple of weeks ago and we had to have the talks and stuff like that um but we're a strong faith-based family we pray and um my wife is strong excuse me she keeps me on my toes for the most part. And um, when I'm weak, God is strong, you know, just do the best you can. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel that. Um, I've been really trying to analyze that um, verse recently, the whole um, when I'm in, in my weakness, he is made strong. His strength is made perfect. I still don't understand if I'm being honest with my life. I'm just like, Jesus, what does that even mean? I was like, <laughs> his strength is always perfect. So it's mm -hmm. not yours. So don't rely on your own. That's because if you rely on your own strength, that's when you screw up. Mm -hmm. So that's how I take it. People mm -hmm. can interpret it any kind of way they want, but that's what it means for me and for, for, you know, for my family. I know in, in my weakness, his strength is always perfect. So, Well, thank you, Brother Brian, so much for being part of this po uh, podcast. Um, it's been an honor to have you. Hopefully, I can have you again just because of, I think there's a lot of stories, 20, 20 plus years <laughs> in this music industry, um, especially, you know, your stories with the contracts or all that. And then you met Beyonce and then all this stuff, which is surreal to even think about and then you're here with with me in this podcast to to put this all together so it's been an honor to have you on this podcast and i thank you so much um thanks for, for being having here. me i appreciate it yeah anytime you were more than welcome anytime brother <laughs> you just hit me up and be like hey i want to talk about something i will be here to talk about it with you so thank you guys um so thank you guys for watching um make sure to check out um brother brian do you have anything coming up or is it all just secret it's not secret um mm -hmm. i just did a song with maya Y'all too young for Maya too. <laughs> uh, two. Uh, it's called "You Got Me" Part Two. That just came out a couple weeks ago. Um, I have some other stuff I sent her. I don't know if it's, you know, we'll see about that. But got some other in independent projects coming up. Um, a lot of stuff. I'm always working. So, always but working. I don't want to put anything out that's not actually like, you know. But yeah, how do you have latest. that threshold? The last question: How do you know when something is good? Rather than just the feeling, but how how do you know in your ear? You're like, this is a hit. Uh, I don't know. 
sometimes you can tell if it's a hit or sometimes you can tell if it's good. Like a lot of the stuff that I do from just my own stuff, like yeah. making tracks, the stuff I like, nobody cares about. I'm just like, and I'll play it and they'll be like, all right, go to the next one. I'm just like, <laughs> this is the one that actually took me three hours, but the one that took me 10 minutes, they like, you know, <laughs> so you never know. Teaser on. What's up? Dip. I just, oh, well, we'll just start again. But all right, guys, thank you guys so much for joining.